Welcome to today's Jolt, the final episode of 2023. It's the 18th of December, I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Stay tuned later in the episode for a look at how energy security has emerged as one of the main issues in the energy transition over the last year. First, let's take a look at what has been happening in the world of energy and climate. New cars sold in Canada will have to be electric as of 2035. That's according to a new law that the government is scheduled to publish tomorrow. The Canada Broadcasting Corporation reports that official sources say that electric vehicle availability standard will come into force in 2026 and gradually ramp up towards 2035. Automakers will earn credits depending on how many zero emission cars they sell and if they pay for charging infrastructure. The all EV sales mandate will mirror similar transport policies in the European Union and the United Kingdom. It's also being considered as Canada's response to the United States Inflation Reduction Act, a multi-billion dollar subsidy scheme that Ottawa fears could cause Canada to lose ground on its neighbour. The European Union signed a new economic partnership with Kenya. It's notable because it's the first agreement of this kind with a developing country that will include the EU's updated approach to sustainability in trade. That means goods will have to meet climate, biodiversity and other environmental standards. Most of Kenya's exports, predominantly vegetables and flowers, go to the EU. Brussels also drafted a new deal of sorts with Switzerland after bilateral relations nosedived all the way back in 2021. Both sides have agreed on what and how they will negotiate updated agreements that govern everything from free movement of workers to food safety. One key area of interest is the electricity trade. The aim is to integrate the Swiss grid even more tightly into the EU's in order to boost cross-border trade and improve resilience. Switzerland's emissions trading system is already linked to the EU's, so the idea is to bring the Alpine Republic even closer on energy issues. Still on EU matters, energy ministers will hold their big end-of-year summit tomorrow on the 19th. The biggest item on the docket is a decision on extending emergency energy schemes for at least another 12 months. They include joint gas purchasing arrangements, accelerated permitting procedures for renewable energy projects, and a price cap mechanism that has actually never been triggered. Ministers will also chat electricity market design, energy and climate plans, Ukraine, and ongoing safety concerns about Belarus's new nuclear power plant. Environmental groups are launching a legal challenge against an oil project off the coast of Scotland. Greenpeace and Uplift are filing their cases against the UK government today with a Scottish court. The government approved the Rosebank project in September and has granted a licence to Norwegian energy major Equinor. The legal complaint claims that the decision breaches the UK's pledge to go net zero by 2050, as the emissions that will be released by Rosebank have not been factored in. China will conduct sea trials with a new deep-water drilling ship. The -the state-of-the-art oil and gas exploration vessel can drill at depths exceeding 10,000 metres and can stay out at sea for more than 100 days. Tensions are building in the South China Sea, which China insists is part of its maritime territory, which is a claim that is widely disputed. This weekend, Philippines President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. said he is pushing for new oil and gas exploration to take place there. For more on China's energy policies, check out Friday's episode of The Jolt. There's a link in the show notes. And the final figures are in. COP28 in Dubai was the biggest COP ever. 
According to figures crunched by the Financial Times, the number of official delegates and guests at the summit exceeded 65,000. That's an 80% increase on COP27 last year, when 36,000 showed up. Those figures don't actually include support staff, which means the true total attendance was more than 80,000 people, something for Azerbaijan to bear in mind for COP29 next year. That's all of your news updates for today. Now let's move on to a closer look at the story of the moment. Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February 2022 triggered a massive rethink by governments about many things, energy security chief among them. Before 2022, Europe in particular was sitting pretty. Loads of cheap gas from Siberia, a handful of side deals with other fossil fuel exporters, and a bit of US LNG as a buffer. When the Russian gas taps were mostly turned off though, panic ensued. Prices skyrocketed, policies were quickly cobbled together to boost reserves and rein in bills, and we're still dealing with the fallout now. Hindsight say perfect science, but let's face it, a lot of this was predictable. And plenty of things could have been done to prepare for this crisis. But for one reason or another, it was allowed to happen. A new initiative aims to make sure that next time, Europe will be ready. Last week, the European Initiative for Energy Security launched, and it has one main mission in mind. Bring government and industry leaders together so secure clean energy policies can be deployed. The idea is to address Europe's security challenges and get ahead of problems that are going to arise as the energy transition gathers pace. The initiative counts several former government ministers, NATO alumni and European officials among its ranks, including the EU's former energy commissioner, Andris Pybalgs. Andris headed the bloc's energy policy between 2004 and 2010, when it was propelled up the political agenda where it remains a top priority issue to this day. He was kind enough to explain the context behind this new initiative and some of the challenges it wants to help overcome. Security of supply was uh, in Europe, in a way, all the sorts that somehow guaranteed. So first of all, really trying to invest in Russia, having also uh, experience after the great oil crisis in 70s. So it seemed with oil stocks and also uh, diverse relationships that it would work reasonably well. When I started to be commissioner in 2004, uh, I have had some doubts about risks related if you have dependent too much from one supplier. Uh, political relations with Russia at that time were been um, excellent, but uh, uh, you always felt some type of tension. And definitely answer at that situation have been diversify and try to connect EU countries as much as possible. So it's true that we diversified like uh, gas coming from Azerbaijan. We have uh, advanced with renewable energies. It's also helped to diversify. Uh, Interconnectors have been built. Uh, They have worked in two directions, but Europe has very strong particularities that 27 nations always have different mindsets. So there are mindsets that are more suspicious or have one security issue thing and another see completely unrelated to it. And that led to us that uh, some countries uh, like Germany sold even the gas storage to Gazprom. And that was actually before the Ukrainian war is was used to artificially raise gas, gas prices. So we made ourselves vulnerable and market did not 
really analyze the reasons for it, but penalized us with a price. So in a way, we paid security of supply blunders with high prices to consumers, and definitely Ukraine crisis uh, exploded. So, uh, so that means that security of supply is a key element of a European energy strategy, and it should be guaranteed all the time. I asked Andres whether Europe's response to the price crisis was the right one, and what this new initiative hopes to actually add to the equation. So we have taken lessons, we have more diversified, we have more LNG supply, but it's also a bit lucky because LNG came in the market mostly through developments in the in United States. And these, these contracts you could buy on spot market. So European strategy in the crisis have been diversified even stronger, uh, save the gas as much as you can, even in some cases on destruction and demand, and fill gas storages, even if it puts prices higher. It's it's right strategy, no question about it, but we paid for it quite a lot, uh, more than if we would be doing it in anticipating the strategy. So the European uh, Initiative for um, Energy strategy, uh, energy Security reflects on these lessons learned that you need to have permanently developing this, but there are new threats coming. During our discussion, Andres mentioned how there are plenty of threats that Europe's energy sector has to contend with. Cyber attacks and physical attacks against infrastructure are among them, including the recent damage to a gas pipeline between Estonia and Finland. Check the show notes for a full episode of The Jolt dedicated to this particular issue. The Initiative for Energy Security also wants to foster better ties with the US. Andres explains a bit more about how transatlanticism could be crucial. Uh, I mentioned one European weakness that different member countries see differently, but there is another weakness. Because if we compare with US, there the contacts between industry, military and politics are by far more they are more used. In Europe, it's basically three trends that are sometimes meeting. It's not, but they are never working together really addressing the issues because each of these groups that I mentioned have very different experiences and also a focus. But all experiences, you need to build the most resilient system as the most efficient system because at the end of the day, it's consumers pay, then it is a uh, comes to competitiveness or taxpayers pay that could go for social welfare. So that you always have these issues that you should take also things that costs should be optimal in. So for all this, uh, we need to to have a, to deal with this uh, weakness, and that is Europe's new problem. That uh, we really need to build this European identity stronger, not 27 identities, and then to find the common line where we could get. And this is something that perhaps will fail at the end of the day, but it's again good attempt really to try to build something different and build uh, things to respond that affects all. All Europeans independently 
where are you in south or you are in the north at the end of the day with electrification we will be by far more strongly connected and this transatlantic relationship helped us definitely to overcome the crisis better than if we would not have we are have different play uh, place in it us is mostly producer we are mostly consumer so we see slightly differently and we have slightly different arguments in this uh uh, global geopolitics, but uh, all together, if we uh, work together, we achieve by far more. But there are always also militants, like you know, this uh, Inflation Reduction Act uh, and some other things. So that's I think we need to improve this transatlantic link because for security of supply, we have been always very close. Whatever was being said. U.S. supported us in diversification, and we have also supported U.S. when it go, went well. I also asked Andrus about his old job, European Energy Commissioner, and whether that position needs a rethink, given the EU's focus on making sure industry is well equipped for the energy transition and the changing nature of where we get our power. At least it should be discussed. So uh, there is never perfect, but I, I do believe there are a couple of things that are coming in new lights, competition policy, because we always have had competition policy in competition departments. Now with strategic autonomy, not exactly anymore. It's, it's so simple because just competition is, is not anymore because strategic autonomy means that you put some brakes on the uh, competitive force. I just give an example now for the wind energy action plan. There is a, some criteria that you put for investors. So it's not completely clean. So, And then there is uh, issues of uh, industrial policy because at the end of the day, uh, the most affected in my opinion, are European industries through this process because they need to change industrial processes. But industries really like steel is, 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 is massive transition. And for them, I understand it is opportunity, but at the same time, it is also a lot of security of uh, supply risks or energy sources. Uh, for example, hydrogen, they need a lot of hydrogen where it will come from. It will come from exports, domestic. How you, I mentioned storing, then infrastructure you need, and some rules that you will need to deal. It's not today, but you need to anticipate because the volumes that we have today does not create any problem. But uh, if I say 2030, well, it's make a difference. So, so I think it, it's it's very difficult to divide the roles. It's usually everybody says you need to work together. True, but perhaps roles could be a bit reshaped accordingly to the roadmap that you make. Uh, because at the end of the day, we need to achieve some some benchmarks by 2030, 2040, 2050, because this climate drive is rather time limited. And that I think helps uh, really to, uh, to also to, to make the bureaucratic structure correspondingly. Uh, I just again give an example. Uh, now uh, most of the EU countries has climate and energy ministries. So it's it's it changed. And uh, I would say from during my time, everybody would say it's complete nonsense what you are talking. So uh, so it is, but then environmentalists would say is climate environment or energy. So it's it's never perfect. It's I think there could be many solutions as long 
your bureaucratic system help to sort the, solve the problem, not create, it's, it's any solution is good for me. Many thanks for joining me today. This was the final jolt of 2023. Kira and I will be back in the new year every weekday, so stay tuned after the holidays for plenty more energy and climate news updates. Plus, of course, deeper analysis of the big important stories. The entire back catalogue, more than 30 episodes now, is available, so feel free to catch up during the Christmas break on anything you missed. The Jolt is free to air for now, but why not consider becoming a subscriber? That will give you access to all of Foresight's fantastic content throughout 2024, which is set to be a huge year for climate and energy. Give the gift of quality journalism, expert analysis and great podcasts to a loved one or yourself this Christmas. Thanks to everyone at Foresight for helping make the job possible and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everyone listening. And until next time, thanks for being a part of the jolt. Bye.